In part two of my interview with Julie Barrett of the Women's Blaining Podcast and Conservative Ladies of America, we get into a little bit more deep discussion on where our challenges lie in America as far as the things that divide us and the things we can do to overcome that divide. Trigger warning disclaimer. Hazardous Conversations pushes rhetorical boundaries for acceptable political discourse. Listening to this program could have the uncomfortable side effect of provoking deep intellectual inquiry into foundational principles of liberty. Listener discretion is advised. So let me ask you a question that I posted on my Facebook page. Is our country as divided as the election returns and polls seem to suggest? And maybe I'll ask it more in this way. Is it as deeply divided or are there just some issues? In other words, do we have a fundamental disagreement that basically cuts us right in half? Or are we mostly all on the same page, but we have some really passionate issues? Um, That's a really good question, because I think if your only lens to look at the answer to that question is social media, you would say, oh, we're so divided. Right. Because you only hear on social media the people who are um, willing to speak out. I think you have that quote, silent majority, which I hate that term. But I think you have a lot of people who are afraid to say anything publicly. Um, but I think at the end of the day, if you had the right messaging and you had, um, if you could lay out the values and the issues, I think we are not as divided as it feels. It feels divided because people in power, people in media, people in big tech, these people are, have an agenda to divide us. Right. I, I would tend to agree. I, I think that I think that if there's any truth that can be said there, it's that the media have an absolute interest in keeping and amplifying any divisions that we do have. You know, I would say, see, I, I, see I'm not sure because I, I kind of go back and forth on this on sometimes even an hour by hour basis on do we have fundamental deep, deep core divisions or do we have you know, just a few issues that, that really pique us. And, you know, I've been talking with my wife a lot about this. And the example that I use is the other gymnasts that my girls go to, you know, compete with and train with, um, a couple of the, couple of the other gym moms, um, we know for a fact have opposing political views from us. Um, and it's been fun for me to wear some of my t-shirts intentionally around, (laughs) but, um, you know, we, we know that, but we also have this this commonality, uh, you know, our girls in gymnastics, which allows us to be in the same room, have conversations, be civil and respectful towards one another. And we just kind of don't bring up those other issues. And to me, you know, those kind of interactions make me think, OK, well, how much of these issues really play a role in our daily lives? And how much of them even properly belong in the political sphere at all? And and how much do we, you know, either through media manipulation or through personal experience, because that that has a big role to play in it. um, How often do we elevate issues to a political level that really shouldn't be and really have no business being, you know, a, a subject of politics, subject to government regulation and government involvement. How much of that is going on, do you think? 
Oh, I think there's, I think there's a huge amount. I'm assuming you're referencing the respect for marriage. That's part of it. As an example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's part of it. I think you could, there's a number of, number of uh, issues I think you could throw into that, but that's a good one to, to use as a frame. So with that one, like, for example, with that one, I think, I think you and I probably would agree that that doesn't belong to the government. I mean, you and I are both Christians and we believe that marriage is biblical and it is, is by God's design. It's between a man and a woman. Um, I don't think that the government should be involved in defining what marriage is altogether. I don't think that a same sex couple should be denied, you know, rights to see each other in the hospital or have medical insurance together or whatever those government benefits are. I don't see why they should be denied that. Well, it's, it's, it's contract law, right? It's, it's basic. I should be able to enter into a contractual agreement with anyone I want to, any number of people I want to in reality that, and confer on them whatever rights I want to confer on them. Um, If I want to buy a house with them, or if I want to have medical insurance with them, or if I want to have a joint banking, I, I should be able to do that with whomever I want to that's of legal age. <laughs> um, and quite frankly, as many people as I want to. So, you know, I think that's where we get this, this conflating of what is the proper role of government, right? Is, are we talking about contractual obligations and in, in, in contract law? Or are we talking about a term? Are we talking about a, a piece of terminology that we want to fundamentally redefine? Right. And I think that is, those are the kinds of issues that people like you and I would like government to stay out of. Um, And those kinds of issues create a big divide in our society that I don't feel is necessary. I feel like it's all part of an agenda. Um, That particular bill specifically, I think, makes a way for people um, that, you know, activists type of people or organizations um, to force to go along with their their way of thinking. Right. And and that's really what it comes down to is the difference between the people who are content to live and let live versus the people who demand that government force you to live the way that I think you should live. Exactly. And to me, you know, I think that right there, when you really break it down, that's if we have a divide, that's the divide. Yeah. Um, it's it's between and I you know I posted this also you know, this idea that I think all political philosophy can essentially be reduced to categories. You either believe in individual liberty or you believe in absolute tyranny. And and there really isn't any straddling that you can do. Either you believe people have the ability to govern themselves and should be able to govern themselves and should be left to their own devices, or you believe that government has the proper ability and right to step in and force people to do things that you think they should do. And I think that more than anything else is the divide that we do have. If if we have one truly, which I do think we have, I think we have that divide. I agree. I don't know if it's as deep as it sometimes feels, but I do agree. And I think, you know, one of the things COVID showed us with the mask mandates and the vax mandates and the lockdowns and, and the amount of people that were compliant with those measures it really showed us, and I think it was shocking, at least to me, it was shocking how many people wanted the government to make these rules for people in society. 
I would never have expected to so many Americans to respond so favorably to tyranny and to comply so willingly with what our government did. So that's actually an interesting question, because do you think do you think that the vast majority of people who went along with it processed it in those terms in any way, shape or form? Do you think that they were even thinking to themselves, I am being told what to do or I am being a subject of of tyranny? Because I I don't I, I really don't. I don't I don't think people are that in tune with it. No, I think you're right. I think that people were sold this idea that if they didn't take these steps, people would die and it would be their fault that people would die. And sure. whether it was to, you know, save grandma or save, you know, school bus drivers or whatever, you were to follow these measures in order to um, protect others and protecting yourself, right? Wasn't that kind of the, the, your mask protects you and your mask protects me. So people were sold this idea that if you are a good person, you will, you will do these things. And in doing that, people lost the ability or the will to do critical thinking. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that, that was all by design, you know, the scare people into not having, not being willing to ask critical questions or, or give, you know, rational thought a chance to take root because, you know, if, if you allow rational discussion, then, you know, people might not choose tyranny. But I mean, I, I guess I'm looking at it from the standpoint of, and this was another question that, I, that I've asked on my Facebook page, is, you know, do we think that the majority of Americans are in touch and active in politics or a majority of Americans are completely apathetic to all things politics? I think the majority are completely apathetic to all things politics. So to me, that raises then the interesting question of if if people are generally apathetic, then is there a political solution that could ever work? That's a good question. I think in I think, you know, that kind of goes back to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, where in some areas of the country, I don't I, I don't feel people are as apathetic as they are in others. I would say in some issues. I think you saw like the mama bear movement yes. with, you know, what comprehensive sex ed and all that stuff right. going on. You, you saw that sleeping giant get awoken, but it tended to be in that one area. You know, now you got some of those people who bled over and started paying attention to other issues, other topics as they became allied with people who were who had been active in other areas of politics, who were their support and everything. But for the most part, you got people who they became single issue voters. And that that's actually an observation that my wife made is that she's convinced that the majority of Americans are single issue voters that. And I think this is what happened in the midterms. Abortion was the only issue on the ballot. Nothing else mattered. War in Ukraine didn't matter. Joe Biden's corruption didn't matter. Hunter Biden's corruption didn't matter. Twitter didn't. Nothing else mattered. Abortion was the election, 100%. And, you know, I think you can see that in that, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone who is absolutely appalled with the comprehensive sex ed stuff that's going on, the drag queen story hour and all that stuff. 
but they call themselves pro-choice. And so when it comes to election time and it comes to filling out that ballot, they vote that issue. And Republicans are silent on that issue. And here's why I think that's bad is because I think a lot of your pro-choice people are not pro-choice with zero guardrails, which is what the Democrats are doing. And the Republicans have failed on that messaging and failed to expose that they want abortion, that the left wants abortion on demand for any reason up until birth. Right. No, absolutely. And, and you know, you, you can only put so much of the blame on the mainstream media on that of, you know, the lack of the ability to get the message out. There's plenty of, of alternative media out there. The problem is you've got people like Lindsey Cram out there who use the language of the left and play the the game that the left plays of trying to hem and haw on it. And it, it's hard to get the messaging out when you both have the media against you, but you also have your quote unquote leadership or your elected representatives who refuse to speak the truth on the matter. Well, he introduced an abortion ban just weeks before the election. What an idiot. Right. I guess that's my point is that he's so tone deaf on what the messaging really should be as a conservative, which is this is an issue of federalism. We don't want national legislation on it because it's not a national issue. It's up right. to the states. And that's the problem is that he he thinks he's speaking the words that the base wants him to speak and he's so out of touch with what real conservative values are that he can't see it you know he thinks oh i'm i'm going to introduce a piece of legislation that'll make me real popular with all the conservatives you know the anti-abortion movement blah 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 blah. it's like no dang it that's not what we're saying we're saying we're glad that it's off the national issue we're glad that it's not no longer in washington's hands to deal with so i guess it, it it becomes a thing of it's really hard to make people care about something that they don't want to care about. And I think that the vast majority of Americans don't want to care about politics. It doesn't affect their daily lives. The, from the time they get up and the, they go to work, nothing, at least that they perceive, is affecting them politically. Now, obviously, we know that's not true. Gas prices are a, are a product of politics. Food prices are a product of politics. Um, you know, whether or not you have to drive in the right or left-hand lane on the freeway is a product of politics. But as far as your daily life goes, people don't want to, they're not naturally disposed to be politically minded. And so trying to get them to care about politics and to, to see the issues and see how twisted and convoluted it all is, I don't know. I think, I don't know if that's a battle that, um, well, I mean, I don't want to say it's not a battle worth fighting because it's obviously always worth fighting for the truth, but I don't know if there's an easy answer on that. Yeah, I think, you know, we have to, you know, to your point that people don't don't want to be involved in politics and, you know, them not really making that connection of how what happens in Washington, D.C. or Olympia or um, Little Rock. Having to go back to my fifth grade, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, affects their daily life. I think, you know, there are some big issues that people do care about and abortion is one of them. Right. And the price of gas is another one. And so those are those are messaging that we, we kind of have to feel what people's pain point is to get them to, you know, to engage. 
Um, I think, you know, we've been so privileged to be born into this amazing country and it's all we know. And so people are so comfortable and they're not in enough pain yet, even though gas is $5 a gallon, you know, it's, it sucks, but it doesn't hurt enough for them to want to send an email to their legislators. I mean, I'm just like throwing out a simple example, but it's really hard to get people to engage. And so, you know, you know, I struggle with this. Like you and I talk about this a lot. How do you get people engaged in, in the process so that we don't lose this country that, that we love so much? Well, I I think you hit it on the head. You know, it's, it's the, the pain of, staying where they're at is not yet worse than the pain of changing. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a recovering addict and I know that if, as long as you can, you know, sit in a warm pile, you, you'll sit there because it's, you know, it, it, it is warm and comfortable and you're used to it. doesn't matter how much it stinks because, you know, getting clean is harder than staying, you know, the pain of getting clean is hard is more than, the pain of staying where you're at. And until that equation changes, people don't change. People don't move. You know, Thomas Jefferson said it, you know, brilliantly in the Declaration of Independence. It's one of my favorite lines. You know, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. The pain of staying where we're at does not yet outweigh the pain of changing. Now, the consequences... Absolutely. The price of not of not um, acting is now greater than the price of acting Um, and talking about, you know, if you stay silent with the covid protocols, um, if you stay silent, if you're just doing your job as law enforcement, enforcing tyranny, um, you know, you are causing more pain than if you stand up against this and potentially lose your job. So the consequences are definitely more severe than the consequences of changing. But people don't see that. People aren't seeing that because they're blissfully apathetic. They're wrapped up in their daily lives. They're wrapped up in their daily routines. um, And they they don't want to take the chance, the gamble of resisting. I also wonder if people have this desire to not know. Right. Like, oh, sure. I think, I think that a lot of people, they know it's bad, but if they don't like dig into it, if they don't see behind the curtain, so to speak, that's how I like. Well, they might it. have like, to care I have seen behind the curtain. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And yes, you have to care. And so I, I sort of feel like some of these people just want to do the, you know, like fingers in their ears, hands over their eyes. La, 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 la. I don't I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I don't know. And so I can just keep living my life. Well, put it in the most simple terms. If you see someone panhandling, do you give them money? I don't. Why? Because I know what they're going to use it, what they're likely going to use it for. Okay. So do you then sit with them and talk? No, not usually. Do you offer them a, you know food or a blanket, something I instead of money? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, would you offer them a shower? At my house, probably not. Definitely okay. not. Let's. Would you honest. offer to put? Would you offer to put them in a hotel room for a night? Oh, I don't know if they had a now, baby. Maybe. Don't don't <laughs> misunderstand. I'm not calling you individually out. I'm saying this is this is a, a mentality here. that why don't we do those things? 
well, safety is a, a big concern, right? right. Um, and then there's the the pessimism of, well, one night in a hotel room or one shower is not going to turn their life around. But then that begs the question of, well, why aren't you going to do more? And and the reason, you know, the sinful reason is because then we might have to care. We might have to invest in that person. And we don't want to invest in that person. And people do this with politics all the time. We don't want to invest because if we invest, then we care. And if we care, then the things that I want to do, the things that I think my life is all about, all of a sudden have to take a back seat or I have to reprioritize my life because now I'm caring about something that I don't want to care about. Right. And I, I think that that's a, a riddle that's an equation that I don't think that there really is a solution for, at least not a political one. Well, and I think that's why you and I are both so passionate about talking about what we see and what we know, because we want desperately for people to care and people to take action and people to engage in this fight, because you and I both know that without people caring and engaging, we are at risk of losing this country. I'll be honest. I think we've lost it. Yeah. I, I can't really disagree with you there. I, I, I think that the best, the absolute best that we can hope for at this point is that federalism prevails and that we head for a, a peaceful national divorce as uh, now how that shakes out, what that really looks like. I don't know. I, but I think that's our best hope because anything other than that, honestly it leads to either complete abject tyranny and slavery because we'll we'll all be under the same boot or it will inevitably lead to some sort of conflict because the left the left is a virus it cannot be content where it's at it has to spread in order to survive right so you know i i agree we do need red state firewalls we need to put those things in place because that will definitely slow the spread but I think uh, very pessimistically, we need to be facing the reality that America, I don't see it surviving intact. Yeah. I agree and, with you. That's why we're getting out of Washington. Right. And, 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 and here's the thing. And, and this is kind of where some of the questions that I'm asking on my Facebook page are, are trying to get people to think about is because there's a lot of people who would respond to what I just said as saying, well, we need to take our country back. We need to, we need to, you know, go 1776 on people and blah, blah, blah. And like, to what end though? Right. Because you're, you're making, well, first of all, you're making the assumption that that silent majority exists and that people would agree with you. So I came up with this example, maybe imagine you're, you're in an organization of a hundred people. Okay. Just a hundred people. And you've got 20 of those people who don't care how the organization is run. You don't, they, they, they never participate in decision-making. They never do it. They are, for lack of a better word, they are automatons and they don't care. And so out of the 80 people that are left, you've got a pretty much even 40, 40 split um, where 40 people want to do things a certain way and want the organization to go one way. And you've got 40 people who want the organization to go another way. Now, the, the, the problem is that you've got both sides convinced that the 20 agree with them that they're not doing anything about it but that they'll agree that they really secretly agree with them 
And then you've also got both sides who are convinced that at least some of the people in the other 40 don't totally agree with everything that the other 40 and that they might they, they might come over to our side if we just, you know, maybe compromise on a few things. Maybe if we just kind of make our position a little bit more attractive, maybe some of that other 40, maybe they'll come on over to our side. And we we tell ourselves these absolute delusions <laughs> about what the real political dynamic is. And that's why I keep asking these probing questions of, are we as deeply divided? Are people active in politics or are they apathetic? Because really what it comes down to, the, the actions that you want to advocate, the, the solutions that you want to put forth are all predicated on assumptions to a certain degree. And the question is, what are those assumptions and how do those assumptions play out? I don't see how any action that, for lack of a better word, superimposes a certain viewpoint, I don't see how that plays out while holding on to principles that I hold dear. As I've, I've said many times, I don't understand how going outside of the Constitution is a method of preserving the Constitution. I, I guess I'm just saying, if you're going to if you're going to say that the Constitution doesn't work or we can't save things through constitutional methods, then okay, the Constitution's dead. Let's start over. Just let's admit that and move on. <laughs> right, right, right. Or if we're going to say, well, there are constitutional methods, you know, but they need to be followed. I agree. How are you going to make them follow? You know, the thought experiment that I always kind of try and remind people to to consider is let's say we wipe the slate completely clean, throw all the bums out, and let's get rid of all the last 200 and what is it, 240 some years of Supreme Court precedents about the Constitution. Uh, let's keep the amendments intact because I think they're pretty, you know, pretty set other than income tax and senators. You know, we can get rid of those two amendments. But but let's just say we get rid of all that. You know, let's, let's do the, the great reset the way it should be, which is get rid of all federal legislation, get rid of all federal you know bureaucrats and just put the Constitution back in place. How do you stop it from going wrong again? Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't I don't have an answer. And I think we're at a point where such a large part of our society doesn't agree with the Constitution. Right. When the fundamental problem is we haven't been following the document, how are you going to make people follow the document? Right. <laughs> you know, it was it was interesting. I think I told you about the interview I did a while back with the Seattle Times about um, it was about the Roe v. Wade and the abortion. It was a poll yeah. that they had done. And one of the questions that they asked me, which, of course, didn't make it to print, was do I feel that the Supreme Court justices are out of touch with current view societal views yeah and i just thought that was such a strange question for a reporter to ask because if you understand the constitution their views on society are not relevant at all to their duty as a supreme court justice right they have one job and that is to uphold the constitution yep i don't care what and, their views on society are right and so was that the reporter being completely ignorant of the way the constitution is set up and the way that it's supposed to be? Or is that reporter, is that a case of the reporter doing their job, which is to simply whip up emotional reaction? I have a feeling it was a combination of both, you know, because I think you see that. I think people don't understand um, and they have politicized the Supreme Court. Yep. Um, 
And so without, I mean, that's the, the way I, the, the way you and I both see it is like the Supreme Court is kind of like our last hope for restoring any kind of uh, justice and, and constitutionality in this country. And once the Supreme Court falls apart, uh, I, I mean, I think all hope is lost and, and we're really close to that. You know, to, yeah, to I mean, point, I, I, we've already I, lost our country. We're really close I, to that. I, I think that the court has already fallen apart to a certain extent. Um, I mean, it it invents for itself terminology. It invents for itself powers. Um, I mean, the entire philosophy of judicial review is nowhere in the Constitution, yet they claim that power. Um, so I think there's a fundamental problem, even with the best justices on the court, I think there's a fundamental problem with how they view themselves and the role that they view themselves in. The court was never intended to be an arbiter of what is permissible in society. It was meant to say you screwed up or you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. I think even even there you you have a, a case where it's fundamentally not operating as designed, uh, not through fault of the design but through fault of the people operating the design so you know what what do we go where do we go and what do we do um well i think we kind of do the same thing we're supposed to do with our faith which is keep living our day day by day not knowing when the hour is going to be and speaking truth and doing right outside of that you can't you can't really do much more than that that's right you know you can try to help people with that um, the best that you can, but you know, that's, that's kind of the other thing that my family and I did when we moved down here was we wanted to try to just focus on let's make sure we are living the best, most correct way we can before we start getting all too worried about what's going on in the world. Yeah. Those are wise words. Well, Julie, it has been fantastic talking with you as always. And we need to we need to do this more often, you know, each other's podcast. Uh yeah. again, the woman's planning podcast. Uh I'll make sure there's a link uh to it. Uh there's one on the hazardousliberty.com website. What's your website? Uh juliebarrett.us. Juliebarrett.us. And check out the woman's planning podcast and uh conservative ladies of America now. Yes. And get involved with that. Conservativeladiesofamerica.com conservativeladiesofamerica.com go check them out get involved um i'm sure they uh could use your help wherever you're at and julie thank you so much this is always a pleasure to talk with you thank you thanks for having me it was fun it was indeed fun i hope you all enjoyed this two-part interview with julie and please check her out at conservativeladiesofamerica.com and juliebarrett.us for the Woman's Blaining podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like it, share it with others that you think might also enjoy it. And as always, God be with you all in all that you do. And remember, keep the faith and keep up the fight.